0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of Charlene Roseman, a 23-year-old woman from Everett, Massachusetts. On April 7, 2009, Charlene was reported missing after she did not come home from work. Six days later, Charlene's body was found in her father's car. She had been shot to death. 12 years later, Charlene's family needs closure and justice. This is Charlene's story. This week's story came to me from the victim's sister, Rosalie. Now, this was the third time that I received a request from someone asking me to cover the story of their sister or friend. And I honestly never imagined when I started this podcast that I would hear from people asking me to cover cases of their loved ones. But I am forever grateful that people want me to tell their story. But it's also important for me as a true crime podcast host. It's so easy as a consumer of true crime to forget that these stories are not just entertainment. They're not fiction. But with so much true crime out there, it's easy to become desensitized to murder, to missing people. And it's important that you don't. It's important that I don't. It's easy for me to, you know, write these stories and forget that these are real people. They were more than articles and the still images. They were mothers, they were daughters, they were sisters, and that is something that I never wanna forget. I try to tell these stories with the intent to bring awareness about these cases, even the ones that are solved. But I keep in mind the fact that these were real people whose families or friends may be listening. So thank you, Rosalie. Thank you for reaching out to me and asking me to cover your sister's story. I hope that this can help in any way to bring you and your parents justice for Charlene. Rosie did an episode about her sister's murder on her own podcast, which is called The Rosie Perspective, and I'm going to include a link to her episode in this week's show notes. So please go and listen. In April 2009, Charlene Roseman was living in Everett, Massachusetts, which is a a suburb of Boston. Boston. Charlene was living with her parents and her sister, Rosalie, who was 20 years old at the time. Now Charlene and Rosalie were close growing up. They were only two years apart in age and that created an unbreakable bond between the two. Rosie said her and Charlene did everything together. They even wore matching outfits and matching hairstyles. They were each other's best friends and they shared everything. Charlene and Rosie, as they got older, remained close they hung out with a lot of the same people and would hang out in the suburbs of Boston together. After high school, Charlene went to Gibbs College in Boston where she majored in accounting and she graduated from there in 2006. Rosie said that Charlene was a very responsible person. And I'm sure at 23, Charlene liked to hang out with friends and date, you know, normal things like that. But work was really important to her. Charlene had eventually started working at a local car dealership called Herb Chambers, which is a dealership in the Boston area. And that's where Charlene was working in April 2009. On April 6, 2009, Charlene woke up and prepared for work like she normally did. She would usually take the train to work because her car had been giving her trouble. However, she was planning to go and look at a Lexus that evening that she wanted to purchase, She had saved up $4,000 to purchase the vehicle, and Rosie said she was really excited to be getting a new car. But instead of taking the train that morning, Charlene had asked to borrow her dad's Honda Civic because he was off that day and he wasn't going to need the car. So her father, of course, let Charlene use his car, and she went to work that day. Charlene left that morning around 7 a.m. and headed to the dealership. She worked her shift, and then at around 5 p.m., Charlene finished her day, and she left. According to Rosie and Charlene's mom, she was supposed to be going with a friend to look at the Lexus. Now, it's not clear whether that friend was supposed to meet Charlene at work or if she was going to pick them up. But around 6 that evening, Charlene's mom calls her to tell her that, you know, her father needed her car back, and so she needed to come home. And according to Rosie, Charlene told her mom that she was on the way home. But Charlene didn't come home that evening. On April 7th, 2009, according to Rosie, her mom came into her room that morning to tell her that her sister didn't come home that night. Now, Rosie, who was eight months pregnant at the time, said that she wasn't super worried at that moment because she figured, you know, maybe Charlene had just stayed out late. Now, Charlene's family started calling her phone, but her phone was going straight to voicemail. Now, worry is starting to set in for Rosie, but she decides that she should wait until it's time for Charlene to be at work and then try to call her and see if she's there. Charlene would usually arrive at work around 7 a.m. Now, one thing that Rosie knew about her sister is that she did not play about work. She took what she did very seriously. And so if she was okay, then she would be at work that morning. But when Rosie calls the dealership, they tell her that Charlene was not there. And so according to Rosie, you know, she was worried at this point. She knew that this behavior was not normal for Charlene, especially the part that, you know, included her not showing up to work. But... She isn't sure what that means, and she's really not sure at this point if that means that something has happened to Charlene or not. The hope was that she was okay and that, you know, she was going to turn up really soon. But hours went by, and Charlene had not come home. She had not shown up for work, and her phone was still going straight to voicemail. Rosie said that around 11 a.m. that morning, her father came into her room and asked her to go with him to the police station so that he could file a missing persons report. Now, at this point, it hasn't been 24 hours since Charlene was last seen. And so Rosie's response to her father is, you know, she's not missing. And I can only imagine, as her sister, what it must have taken for her mind to actually settle on the idea that her sister was missing. I mean, at 20 years old, I'm sure that that was really just unimaginable. And so she probably was subconsciously feeling like, this really cannot be happening to my family right now. But as a father, Charlene's dad instinctively knew that something was wrong. And so he didn't need 24 hours or 48 hours. He knew that he needed to go to the police. And so Rosie and her father go to the police station, and they get the typical response from the police that we see in these situations time and time again. You know, she's 23, maybe she doesn't want to be bothered, and it hasn't been 48 hours, so technically she's not missing, you know, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But Charlene's dad and Rosie are trying to tell the police that Charlene is missing. But police will not take the report, and so Rosie, at eight months pregnant, is left to search for her sister on her own. Rosie was the only one who knew Charlene's, you know, friends and who they were and where they hang out. She knew that her parents wouldn't even know where to begin, really. And so Rosie took on the task of searching for Charlene. Rosie started by reaching out to Charlene's friends to see if they had spoken to her or if they knew where she might have gone on April six, but no one seems to know where Charlene is now, one of Charlene's friends does tell Rosie about a man that Charlene was have alleged to been with and that she could take her to that man's house, but Rosie said that Charlene's so-called friend seemed unconcerned by what was happening. Now the Roseman family was clearly worried about Charlene, but the person who was one of her closest friends was not. So Rosie, left with no other choice, just continues to search for her sister. She has checked all of the usual places that Charlene hung out or went, but there's no sign of her or her father's Honda Civic. They knew that finding the car was a critical missing piece. If they found the car, then they would probably find Charlene close by. But just like Charlene, the car was nowhere to be found. A silver Honda Civic doesn't exactly stand out. And so the car could really be anywhere. In the days after Charlene went missing, the Roseman family began arriving, you know, their family began arriving in town uh, to help them search for Charlene. But according to Rosie, a few days into the search for Charlene, her parents began to believe that something bad has happened to her. There was nothing normal about what was happening. 23 years old or not, Charlene would not be voluntarily missing, especially with her father's car. Now, earlier I said that Charlene had been intending to purchase a car, Alexis, and that a friend was supposed to go with her, and the friend was going to help her purchase the car and was going to be able to help her get a discount on the car, and that indicates to me that the friend was familiar with whoever was selling the car. Now, Rosie had spoken to this friend to see what they knew, but they also seemed surprisingly unconcerned about Charlene missing. You know, despite the fact that this was someone that they had spoken to on a daily basis and now they haven't spoken to in a day or two. So, when Charlene left the house that morning, she had $4,000 in cash in her wallet. Now, both Rosie, you know, and Charlene's mother had told Charlene that she really needed to be careful carrying around that kind of cash. But Charlene didn't think much of it. You know, she was going to go buy a car and she needed to have the cash on hand. So according to Rosie, a few of the people that Charlene thought were her friends seemed to be completely unbothered and unconcerned about the fact that she was missing. Everyone who knew Charlene knew that she was responsible and that she was reliable also. And so why weren't they worried also? Like, why weren't they worried too? Six long days passed and there was still no sign of Charlene. A week that was supposed to be filled with celebration and love was a week of pure hell for the Rosemans. Rosie's birthday is April 11th, and she was going to turn 21 that week. But her sister disappeared, and so she couldn't celebrate, and she couldn't be happy. Their other sister was also getting married that week, and they were all supposed to go to Florida for her wedding. Everyone, including Charlene. But instead of parties and laughs, the Roseman family was grieving and desperately searching for Charlene. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? Rosie got a call from a friend of hers who told her that she needed to call the Somerville Police Department. Now, Somerville is also a suburb that is close to Everett, where the Rosemans lived. Rosie said at the same time she received the call from her friend, her dad also received a call. Now, I'm going to let you hear what happened next from Rosie herself. Now, this clip was pulled from the episode that she did about her sister.
0: My dad gets a phone call from his cousin who's a taxi driver, but my dad can't hear him. There's a lot of noise in the house. There's a lot going on and um my dad gives the phone to my brother-in-law. And so my brother-in-law takes the phone and he goes in the room. Within a few minutes he comes out and he asks for me, my parents and his wife, my older sister to come in the room. So we get in the room And he can't say anything. His lips won't move. And my dad is like, what is it? What is it? And he won't say anything. And my dad asks him, is it Charlene? And he shakes his head yes. Still no words. And my dad asks, is she dead? And he's unable to verbally tell us, but he shakes his head yes. At that moment... My dad runs out of the house, he runs down the street, my mom drops to the floor, and we're all in disbelief that at the end of the six-day search that my sister would not be coming home. She's not injured, she's not in critical condition, that she is deceased. One gunshot in the back of the head found in my dad's Honda Civic on Webster Ave besides up was behind the apartment building in Union Square. So, of course, we have to go. Um, of course, we have to go. And we get there. And for me, in order for it to seem real, I need to confirm that this is a license plate for my dad's car. There's crime scene tape everywhere. Of course, I can't go up to the car. But I need to uh, confirm the plates. So once I see the plates, I realize that this is really my dad's car. And I realize that at that moment, like, our lives have changed forever.
1: Once Rosie and her family confirm that, in fact, Charlene was dead, they have to go to the medical examiner's office to identify the body. But because Charlene had been shot in the back of the head, The gunshot had created what Rosie described as an extra-large, egg-sized hole in her head. And so they had to identify Charlene's body by a photograph. But, undeniably, it was Charlene. The pain and devastation that engulfed Rosie and her family is unimaginable. At 23 years old, Charlene's life had ended so violently, so unnecessarily. But with everything that Rosie knew about her sister's last moments, the day that she went missing, she thought that at least, you know, she had hoped that they would at least get justice. The $4,000 that Charlene had taken with her to work was gone. And so both the police and the Rosemans had believed that robbery was the motive. Rosie told police, everything that she knew about the people last known to have been seen with her sister. But police didn't make any arrests. A few days later, the Rosemans laid Charlene to rest. But the same friends that were unconcerned that Charlene was missing didn't even bother to come to her funeral and pay their respects to her family. Two weeks after she laid her sister to rest... Rosie gave birth to her son. Rosie said that Charlene really wanted Rosie to have a boy, a nephew that she never got a chance to meet. The police investigation led investigators to believe that Charlene was, in fact, a victim of robbery. Evidence shows that whoever shot Charlene was sitting in the rear driver's side seat when they murdered her. They also believe that it is possible that someone else was sitting in the front passenger seat. Now, police questioned several people in Everett and Somerville, including the people that Rosie had told them about, but no arrests were ever made in connection with her murder. Now, a month after Charlene was murdered, an arrest was made in the case, but not for her murder, for perjury. A then 21-year-old man was charged with two counts of perjury for refusing to provide information in the murder of Charlene. And he also provided false statements to a grand jury. He had lied to police about the whereabouts of people the police had been looking at in connection with Charlene's murder. Police at the time said that the man was, quote-unquote, a significant witness in the murder of Charlene. Now, he was ultimately found guilty and served a year in prison, but it makes you wonder, right? Like, if they had enough evidence to prove that someone was lying about what happened and withholding information, then you would think that they would have at least named a suspect or a person of interest. But they never did. Now, as the years went by, Rosie continued to search for answers about what happened to her sister. She would reach out to the detective working on her sister's case and the DA, you know, periodically, just to see if they had any information or any new leads, but they never had anything. Eventually, the original detective in the case retired, and the case was handed over to a new detective. And on a visit to the police station to check on her sister's case, Rosie sat down with the new detective to see, you know, what was the status of Charlene's case. But she finds out that this new detective had not even looked at her sister's case. And as a matter of fact, no one had looked at Charlene's case in years. Like, no wonder there was no new information. The police had pretty much stopped investigating Charlene's murder. The police had really dropped the ball. Charlene, a murdered 23-year-old Black woman, just was not a priority for the Somerville Police Department. It has been 12 years since Charlene Roseman was brutally murdered. There haven't been any arrests, and her family has never and will never get over Charlene's murder. All these stories I cover are hard, but this one was really hard. I cried each time I listened to Rosie talk about her sister and the pain it has caused her and her family. It's just really something about this story that has stuck with me. Charlene was so young and so full of life. Her murder really is a testament to how cruel and unfair this world can really be. So I'm going to end this week's episode with Rosie's words. I want you to hear her voice. I want you to listen to her words. Then I want you to go listen to the full episode that she did on her sister's murder. And then I need you to share Charlene's story.
0: They should have been able to do more than they have done. But I also need the public to know that we need the public's help. Yes, the police department is responsible for solving murders. That is their job. But if there's A group of people, there's a community that is aware of what happened that refused to talk. That's not helpful. We have to work hand in hand. If you don't want to talk to the police, talk to me. Send me an email. Contact me through DMs. Send me a freaking letter. Whatever you have to do. I need the people responsible for my sister's murder put in jail. They have killed. They will kill again. It was thought out. It was planned. Because my sister was trusting of people that were not worthy of her trust. And these people are still out there. Someone out there right now is trusting these people, not knowing that they have killed. And there are people out there that know that these people have killed. Why are you protecting killers? It could very well be you. It could be someone else. It can cause damage to someone else's family. When you kill somebody, it's not only about you taking their life. This has changed my family drastically. It has changed me as a person. I view the world differently. I view people differently. I smile, I joke, I laugh. I have a lot of personality. But part of me is dead inside. And I don't think it'll ever be revived. My son is such a great part of my life. He brings me so much happiness. My nieces bring me so much happiness. My parents, my sisters, my brother-in-law. But there's just a part of me that has died when my sister died. And every day that we don't get justice, it, it dies a little bit more. My grandfather, he died in 2017. And although he had memory loss, he always remembered the fact that my sister was murdered. And he always asked me if they have caught the people and put them in jail. So he couldn't remember my name sometimes, but he remembered that. And unfortunately he passed away and he didn't get to see that justice for his granddaughter. And it's been 11 years now. I've done two interviews with Bob Ward from Fox 25 News. Thank you to him for unsolved murders. And he did one about four years in, maybe five. And he did one for a 10 year anniversary of the unsolved murder of my sister and still nothing. I've tried to share and i will continue sharing her story. I need everyone to share her story. I need people that may not have known about this story 10 years ago, 11 years ago to know about it now. You may know something that you were unaware was a part of my sister's case. You may want to get it off your chest. Maybe it's eating you alive. I I need help. I need you guys to help me solve my sister's murder. You know, I see so many people sharing other people's murders and stories from all over the world. I want my sister's story and her murder to be a part of the ones you think about. When you're sharing stories and this is crazy and this is brutal and how could this be done to someone, I want her to also be a part of your rotation of murders that are unsolved, that need to be shared, that need to be solved. Somerville, somewhere I grew up, I considered Somerville home. My sister considered Somerville home. For you to have a community of people in Somerville that refused to speak on a murder that was senseless, that was heartless, that was brutal, for my sister to be killed execution style by people that she most likely knew, that's just crazy to me. And for people to have that information and to hold it in their heart and not feel that they they need to speak. This could have been solved 11 years ago, 10 years ago, but somehow it hasn't. These people probably feel like they've gotten away with it. You haven't. You know what you did wrong. And I know that you know that at some point you need to be locked up.